Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Welcome to our Wednesday night study. We're going through the book of Daniel. Um, up till this point, we've made it through chapter four, or through, yeah, through chapter four. So tonight we're going to be studying chapters five and six. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and crack it open. If you don't have a Bible, um, there are Bibles in the back. Go ahead and grab one. And let me just do a quick summary of what we've gone through so far uh, before we jump in chapter 5. So Daniel uh, was a, a captive uh, from Judah, and he was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar, who took a lot of captives from the land of Judah. And he was brought to the nation of Babylonia. And throughout the first four chapters, there are basically interesting things that happen with Daniel being in this foreign land. He is um, he's put into basically a kind of Babylonian school to be trained up um, as a kind of person of quality and of merit to help uh, serve in their, in their government or in their structure. Um, he has faced with a variety of challenges, the first of which was they wanted to feed him all kinds of Babylonian uh, foods and delicacies, and he said, I, want, I refuse that because that's against the dietary laws and the, the laws that I follow. Um, he ended up doing well. He ended up prospering, even though uh, he decided to eat vegetables and water. Um, has anybody tried just the vegetables and water diet, by the way? Has anybody ever tried that? Only vegetables and only water? Neither have I. So, look how much we already have in common. Uh, that's great. Um, I hope to never have to try that, but uh, who knows. Um, then, okay, so that takes us through chapter 1, and then chapter 2, uh, we have the great prophecy of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, of the gold head, this the statue, this gold head, um, the uh, silver chest, and of course this is, we, 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 we learn is about various kingdoms that are going to come to pass, though so the gold head is Babylon, the next kingdom, which is the silver, is going to be uh, Medo-Persia, which we will get into a portion of tonight. Uh, then we get into the bronze um, um, uh, legs, which is uh, Greece, and then finally into um, the iron, which is uh, Rome. Yeah. So then that takes us into chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar hears this great interpretation by Daniel, decides that he's going to build his own giant statue and then make people worship before it with all kinds of music. That was last week. Um, Daniel um, actually is, is not present in that chapter, but his three friends are um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are thrown into the fiery furnace because they refuse to uh, worship at this altar. And, um, and they are protected um, by God's power. 
Nebuchadnezzar then praises God in chapter four is actually the first person witness account of Nebuchadnezzar and how he basically uh, became humbled and, and actually entered by the end of the chapter into an actual, an actual time of worship to God. And this is one of the things um, that I mentioned at the end of our study last week. Um, it's, it's very easy. You hear this out of the mouths of, of politicians, right? They'll, they'll have their debates. They'll have their, their sayings. And usually at the, the concluding remarks, um, one or both of them, if there's two, um, will say, well, thank you very much. And hey, God bless America. And it's like, it's so easy to say that. It's so very different to actually believe that. Nebuchadnezzar had gone through moments where he had basically said the kind of politician, uh, God bless America, but he was finally at the point where, where he humbled himself and realized um, that, and, and, and this is the big, uh, big statement that God wanted him to learn. Um, let's see here. Thank you. Yes. Well, no, actually, that's, that's almost it. So he lifts his eyes, he understand, and his understanding returned to him. But God wanted him to learn this specific thing. Um, oh, where is this? Da, da, da. That, that the most high rules, there it is, there it is, I'm sorry. At the end of verse two, 32 of Daniel, Daniel chapter four, until, until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Thank you. <laughs> sorry about that. Rough start tonight, excuse me. Um, and this is, I mean, this is, this, is, this is the revelation for every person at any point in the history. What, what does God ultimately want you to know? He wants you to know that he rules in the kingdom of men. That it's not just people. That it's not just us walking through this pattern of life. That we just, we grew up in this area, we did these things, our lives came to an end, and that was it. But that over that, there's this issue of God is ruling in the kingdom of men as we go through. And so anyhow, that gets us through uh, chapters one through four. Tonight, we're gonna jump into chapter five. So let's go ahead and pray and then uh, and start, start reading. Heavenly Father, um, only you can teach us the things that we just read about, that, that, that you rule in, in the kingdom of men and that you, you lift people up and you also put them down, Lord, according to your purposes. And so tonight, we just want to kind of bow the knee of our minds and our hearts. We want to put ourselves before you and say, Lord, we need a fresh word from you tonight. We need to hear as we study about Daniel, we need to hear things for ourselves. We need to know things that will help us to recognize that you rule in the kingdom of men, that you rule in, in our kingdom, in our time, in our place. And so, Lord, please anoint this study, Lord, for your, your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Turn back to Daniel chapter 1, please. And you'll see here in, at the very beginning, this, was, this is kind of a connecting point to the beginning of the book of Daniel. It says here, in the third, reign of the, reign of, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. Nebuchadnezzar had already taken these things, these vessels that were part of the kind of ceremony and all, all, the, all of the things that went on within the temple and brought them. And now we read of this man named Belshazzar who has now is using these vessels. And what is he using them for? He's using the vessels that were meant for holiness. Vessels for holiness. And what is he now using them for? Debauchery. I'm sure you're all thinking the word debauchery as opposed to just drunkenness, but it's the same thing, right? Sacrilege is the word. When you take a holy thing and you use it uh, either mockingly or you turn against its, its intended purpose, and that's exactly what Belshazzar is doing. Now, let me give you a quick little comment on who Belshazzar is, because you've probably noticed that we haven't read about this guy before. Belshazzar is the son of, a, of the Babylonian king Nabonidus. Now, I, I passed this out at the beginning. Um, maybe some of you got this, but this is the cylinder of Nabonidus. If you didn't get this, there's some extra copies around it's actually, it's pretty cool to look at this. This, uh, this is an interesting cylinder that was, that was found. And until they found this, they, um, uh, secular historians did not know who Belshazzar was. Um, they would be reading in the biblical account and say, oh, this just doesn't line up with what we know of history. Um, so here, here's how this kind of goes. So um, Belshazzar was the, the eldest son of Nabonidus, and, and Nabonidus makes reference to him. Now, I'm not going to go through every single thing, but you can kind of, you can kind of look on this previous page where it goes through the, the Babylonian Empire. And we have Nebuchadnezzar, then we have Nebuchadnezzar's son, evil Merodach, and then he dies, and his kingdom is then given to this guy named Neraglisser, then he's given to this guy named Labashi Marduk. And then finally, it's given to Nabonidus. Um, and Nabonidus, as well as his son Belshazzar, are related somewhat to Nebuchadnezzar through the lineage on Nebuchadnezzar's wife's side, if I remember that history correctly. Um, and so Belshazzar is a couple of, of, of generations removed from Nebuchadnezzar, and he is the son 
of Nabonidus. So that's a pretty cool, um, if, you, if you have time to read through this, it's pretty interesting what it, what it denotes as far as uh, what the actual cylinder says. I'm not going to go into great detail for that. Um, at this time, Nabonidus was actually, um, was, the, was the ruling king of, of Babylon, and he was the final king. And he was out actually most likely fighting the Medo-Persians. I mentioned before how in chapter 2 there was this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And it had the, uh, well I'm just going to reference the top parts. The head of gold, that was Babylon. And then the shoulders and arms of silver. So gold was Babylon. Silver was Medo-Persia. And at this time, the Medo-Persians were definitely making advances on the Babylonian kingdom. And we'll get into the head of Medo-Persia, who is primarily Cyrus, as we head into chapter 6. And so Nabonidus was out actually fighting battles to kind of keep Medo-Persia from taking over their land. This is the land of Mesopotamia, the land of the two rivers, the land of, of what modern-day Iran and, um, and so when he was out fighting these battles, he had to leave somebody in charge of Babylon, and that was, at this time, Belshazzar. So Belshazzar is a son. He's also known as a co-regent. This is actually a pretty interesting point if you ever studied history and biblical history. Co-regency means, means there are two people reigning at the same time. In fact, if you go through the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and uh, sorry, sorry. Um, you'll find that sometimes the, the, the lining up of how long somebody reigned and how long somebody else reigned can lead you into a very problematic math situation. But largely it can be solved when you understand the idea of co-regency, which is that while somebody's reigning, they're also having someone else reign at the same time, either training up a son, and then usually the math works out at least better than without that. Um, so anyhow... The Nabonidus cylinder confirms, that's the, that's the, the handout that I gave you, confirms the existence and the, the ruling and the power of Belshazzar, of uh, which we read now. Aren't you glad that I went into that much detail? I sure am. <laughs> and the yawns continued. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 3, let's carry on. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stones. They were using them for completely opposite-ended purposes than they were intended in the temple. Now, verse 5. Now it gets really interesting. We're moving beyond debauchery into, into just incredible things. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. You ever had a, a moment of realization like that? It's just something that just completely flips your lid, so to speak, you know? Something that just completely stuns you 
and shakes you. We, we do have moments like this in life, don't we, where things happen. And usually it's a tragic uh, situation or something has happened even in our own thinking and it kind of, it shakes us to our core. That's exactly what's happening with Belshazzar. Now, we don't know fully about the character of Belshazzar, but you can pretty well intuit from what is going on that Belshazzar is kind of a live and let live kind of person, right? He's like, he's like I don't know what these things are, but just bring him in here. We're having a giant party for a thousand lords. I mean, this is a giant party. We're not just talking like a house party in college. A thousand lords. This is a giant, giant feast. And he's used to doing pretty much whatever he wants. And yet, this thing happens that shakes him to the core. And what is this thing? It's a, a man's hand. Now, was it up to here? I mean, like, we're, we're, we're encroaching on Halloween season. I was almost ready to go by, like, on a costume shop and be like, do you have any, like, disembodied hands? Because I'm studying the Bible. And, you know, I thought, you know, I was, I was, I was going to ho- hope to have one where I could just kind of, like, take off the hand and be like, you know. Um, but, uh, I, honestly, I forgot about the idea until just now. But, <laughs> but it would have been funny, right? You know? You're like, well, what does this guy need this stuff for? He says he's studying the Bible. Doesn't he know that that's kind of against? So anyhow, didn't get to do it. Maybe I will. So if somebody has a disembodied hand, can you just bring it next week? That'd be great. Um, I think maybe, maybe. Give him a hand. Oh, oh. So he's obviously, he's shaken by this. And, and honestly, you, you would be too. I mean, he's probably, his first thought has to have been like, what did I drink, right? Or who put something in my drink might be a thought he had too. Or maybe these vessels I should not have drunk out of. But anyhow, this hand appears and the king is, is, is uh, he's besides himself. Verse seven, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Now, I've got to stop here for just a second. We've, we've read about these, these kind of prof, you know, falsely prophetic characters before, many times in the book of Daniel already. And every time we've read about them, they have failed to bring any kind of truth or, or revelation to what has been sought. So I'm, just, I'm kind of surprised that this far in, they're like, you know, let's go back to the one thing that, didn't work before and try it again. But I don't know about you guys. Have you ever done things that you already knew didn't work? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Okay. So anyhow, can't blame them that much. But anyhow, it is kind of an interesting point. So they bring them in. And the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now that third ruler makes a lot more sense now that you know that it's Nabonidus and Belshazzar, so Belshazzar can't offer him the second because he's the second. All he can do is offer him the third, so that kind of makes more sense now that you read, read that particular detail. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing. And some people have argued about this. It's like, could they not read it? Like it was in a different language? Was it some kind of mysterious, you know, as far as how its presentation? Uh, were they just not able to interpret it? And scholars are, are, are mixed on this, this point. 
So they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. The king, then King Belshazzar, was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. So the, the great party that was happening is not happening no more. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. Now, the queen. This is most likely not his wife. This is most likely the queen mother, actually the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, who has come in, who has heard of these words, has heard us that something has happened, something has been written, something has changed. You know, like if you're, if you're in a house where there's a party and there's a party noise, but then all of a sudden that noise changes drastically, Either something has happened or someone has arrived. You can tell from a different place within the house that something has changed. It seems like that's probably the situation here. So she arrives, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall, and the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. So she's, she's, she's still deferring to him. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Why? Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas, that, that's, quite a, that's quite a list of things. I don't know if you guys have a resume, but if you could, could you add these things to your resume? I can solve riddles. I doubt you've ever put that. You know, like, I can explain enigmas. I'm not sure what job position you'd be like, dude, that's Burger King, man. You know, <laughs> you know it's interesting, but we just need, we need this. You know, okay. Um, so interpreting dreams, solving riddles, Knowledge, understanding, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, who the king, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. A quick side note within this. You've noticed that she calls Nebuchadnezzar his father. Now, obviously, he's not his direct father, but this is a kind of general term for someone in your lineage, right? We talk about the father of, of Isaac and, and the, the father of Isaac and Jacob, for example. This is a, so this is something that you kind of see within biblical and, and other historical accounts. So this is a more generic father. Or like you, remember, you, might, you might hear, of our fathers, right? Our forebears, our ancestors. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? So he's aware of the history that these people were taken captive from Judah. They were brought in. He says, Are you, are you one of these people? I, I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, it's interesting, uh, and one of, the, one of the commentators that I was reading and listening to said, you know, it's very likely that, that Belshazzar, and by the way, just, just to clarify, Belshazzar is, is the Babylonian king. Belteshazzar is, is Daniel's name, just because they, they sound pretty, <laughs> pretty similar. So Belshazzar, and I'll just call him Daniel instead of Belteshazzar. Um, but it's pretty clear that Belshazzar... Um, 
really doesn't know who Daniel is at all. He's just kind of repeating the words of his mother-in-law. You know, like, like I, I've, I've heard of this, but he, has, he really has, has, has no idea. Um, now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, I'm in verse 15, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be, again, the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, he offers a reward, right? This is a, a, a nice gesture. How does Daniel then receive this? Let's see. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. He's like, I, really, I, I just, I don't want your stuff. I don't want your stuff. And give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now there's two interesting things here I want to kind of bring out for us. One is the fact that, that Daniel is obviously has set himself apart a number of times throughout this book. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't march to the drummer of whoever's ruling. He marches to the drummer of the king of kings, the lord of lords. But what I find so fascinating about this is that I think when he says this, it's not like, because you can, you can come off a little bit um, proud. Like, I don't... Dude, I don't need your stuff. I think it's more like he had a contentment. You know, you know when, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them, and there's a situation where he's just uh, healed the Samaritan woman. I think that's the correct uh, place within the New Testament. And his disciples come and they've just come from a village and they've come food and, and they offer him food and he says, I, I'm, I don't want it. And then he says to them famously, I have, I have food that you know not of. He has just been filled with the purpose of life itself, which is to bring reconciliation, forgiveness, joy, and love. And I think for us as, as believers, as Christians, this is one of the great gifts God gives us in our ability to serve him, in our ability to bend the knee and to join with him in that, his own, his kingdom building is that he feeds us and satisfies him. Do you, do, you, do you recall, for example, in your life, when you first experienced, not just heard of, but experienced the peace that passes understanding? Do you, do you remember when that was first visited upon you? Do you remember when, when you had um, not much and yet you were completely filled with joy. I, I remember distinctly, I, within my first year of becoming a Christian, I began to uh, volunteer at a homeless shelter. And I remember this one night, I left that shelter and I got into my car and I was weeping because I was filled with such joy. And all I had done that night was taken, these, these, these men had come in after their day of work. They had, a, they had a, pl a place where they could shower. All I had done was help them get their clothes, put them in a plastic bin, they took their showers, they went to bed, and I left. That's all I did. It's not much. But I was filled with such joy. I was filled with such peace, and I was like, how do I, why, why am I the blessed one? How, how, how do I have 
the joy and the gift. Why is that upon me? And that's when I really began to learn about this food, this food that Jesus spoke of. I I have food that you know not of. God has a way of providing for you and for me through spiritual sustenance that is far greater um, enduring, sustaining, joyful. And when you tap into that, I think that's kind of what Daniel was, was saying as he was saying, look, you, you have these, these things, they mean something to you. They're not gonna fill my cup. It's just not going to work. He could put those things on and be like, this just does not change things for me. I think that's one of the wonderful things about our witness, that we have the ability and the power to tap into that same kind of food and nourishment, and that's exactly what he's talking about. And yet, he says, and yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So he goes in, verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And again, this is reference to that golden head of this statue from Daniel chapter two. And I think there's, I have a handout for that too, so just in case you've forgotten or if if you're new tonight, you can check that out there. And because, verse 19, because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And this is exactly what we read about in chapter 4. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. That was the whole point. That's where the Lord was driving Nebuchadnezzar in his life. And Daniel is resharing this with Belshazzar. He's, I'm probably hoping, hey, maybe something within here resonates with you, Belshazzar. You have lifted yourself up. You have, you have done these activities with the holy vessels. Are you listening, right? You can kind of hear like, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Does Belshazzar have an ear to hear? We don't know yet. But Daniel is trying. This is Daniel witnessing to him. That the, the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Now we find out something about Belshazzar. Belshazzar knew about this. This was not a quiet thing that happened when Nebuchadnezzar lost seven years of his life. When he was driven to be like a, a, an, a wild animal. And yet, what happened to him when he lifted his eyes and that his kingdom was restored to him? Do you, can you, you imagine how many stories are told about our various presidents when they have some kind of cold or a sickness for even a week? You know, the president's got COVID. 
the media is on it like, vroom, you know? Imagine seven years where the king is acting like a wild animal. You think people in the kingdom didn't know about it, especially the family? Of course they did. I noted this last week. It's interesting in Babylonian history, there is a period of seven years where there is no recorded announcement or law or anything given by Nebuchadnezzar. Just as an interesting piece that kind of confirms what had happened to him. So Daniel's sharing. He's like, come on, Belshazzar. You knew all this? You knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? You know how great a king was? You know how he, how he was humbled? You know what happened to him? And he says in verse 23, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. He's like, do you got to remember whose house that came from? It came from the Lord's house. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. They don't know. Do you know? He knows. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Does God expect of people who don't know him, who have not bowed the knee before him, who have not come to the place of humility, does he still expect something from them? This text implies yes. (laughs) Every human being who has the ability to see and comprehend the creation is responsible for their reaction to that creation. Every human being who has the ability to think about where their thinking comes from, about where they themselves come from, has to have a response. What is your response to these things? And he says that what he has been expected to do is to give glory to the Creator. You have not glorified him. What what is pride? What is pride? Pride is the lifting up and actually glorification of self above all others. Glorifying God is the opposite, which is where the person is humbled, God, God then is raised. Why is it such a big deal that God deserves glory and and actually asks for us to glorify him. Why is this issue of glory so important? Well, think about it. The minute God is not glorified, God is not on his throne, God is not in his position, his rightful position of authority, and you think about like like a hierarchical system, what has to happen up here then affecting what happens down here. The minute God is off of his throne, what happens to all the sub-levels? Chaos. Chaos. Conversely, what happens when we do give God the glory, which is to, to recognize him for his true place? Order. 
That's exactly the, the picture story that was happening with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was lifting himself up, and what happened because of that? Because he did not give God glory, his life went into chaos. He became like an animal. And you see it all around. People who do not give God the glory decide to do life their own way. What happens to their life? In some measure, chaos. Glory is the, glory is the great, the glory of, of the Lord is the great redeeming issue in the lives of human beings. And he says, you have a right to give him glory, but you have not done this. I love what he says to the God who holds your breath in his hand. How many, how many more breaths do you have? You have no idea. And owns all your ways. He owns your ways. This God you have not glorified. What, what are your ways that you think are your ways that are not your ways, they're actually the ways that were given to you? Guys, I, I find this so fascinating about the human body, right? We think, this is my body, right? I control it. I can, I can move my arm up like this. I can put it down. I can do the Macarena. For some reason, that, that came back in fashion in my house. My, my kids actually sing the Macarena and dance it. I, I wish that day hadn't happened. But anyhow, I, I, you know, certain things that I can control, and I think, oh, this is my body. But, but then you think about, like, okay, what all really happens in the body? And there's this issue of the body called involuntary movement. Like when you go to sleep, because you stop thinking about breathing, does your body like, never mind, we're just going to stop too? No, because there's involuntary muscle movement in your body happening all the time. This is just the fascinating thing about the human body, right? There's things happening. You, you, you don't charge up your spleen at night and be like, I better get this thing going. It's not going to last till morning, you know. Better eat some more Cocoa Puffs. I'm not sure if my, uh, if my, my bladder or whatever is going to, you know. They're just, they're just working. They're just, it's, it's working all the time, just working. And you have nothing to do with it. It's just stuff happening to you. That's kind of the point. He's like, he's like Belshazzar, your breath. You didn't even make the breath and you're just breathing it. How, you don't know how many you have. Your ways, the way that you function, the, 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 the movement of your body, it's not you. It's happening to you. Who and what is that thing? It's the creator, right? It's the creator. Verse 24, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him and this writing was written and this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel ufarsin. And this is the interpretation of each word. Now, now who knows if they even understood those words as they were being written, written on the wall by this disembodied hand. But Daniel now says, now this is what these words mean. These words that shook you to your core, this hand that shook you to your core, this is what this means. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You've heard of in the New Testament, this, uh, this, there's a type of, 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 uh, of currency called amina. It comes from this same word. Amina in the New Testament is 50 shekels value. So he's saying, I have numbered you. 
In fact, it says it twice. I've numbered you twice. I don't know if that's referring to like, you know, like I've numbered Nebuchadnezzar and he was humbled by it. I'm numbering you, maybe not so much though. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And tekel um, literally comes from the word shekel, the verb, which means to weigh. I've numbered you. I've numbered you. I know you. I know how many cells are in your body. I know the thoughts in your brain. I know how much blood is coursing through you. I've weighed you. I found out what is the value of all that stuff that's happening. Like, imagine you're at the grocery store and you're, you're, you get, remember the old school? They used to get the, the fruits and stuff and they'd actually have the scales there. I miss those, those days a little bit. That's kind of fun. Like, how much does that squash weigh? 4.3 pounds. Wow, I didn't know that. By the way, they recently um, uh, had a, a pumpkin growing contest and the world record for a pumpkin is 2,700 pounds. Isn't that crazy? They can like super grow these pumpkins. There's these certain people who have like, who are just, there's, yeah. yeah. I don't know what, what, what kind of church they're going to um, <laughs> or what their spiritual lives are like, but uh, they're growing giant pumpkins out there. Um, anyhow, talk about weighed and found wanting, right? You know, God's like, yeah, you grew the biggest pumpkin, but... I'm still, I know it's giant, right? 2,700 pounds. Um, you've, been, you've been counted, you've been weighed, and the idea is that you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, right? Like, you don't, you don't measure up. And lastly, Paris. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now remember, his, his father Nabonidus, he was off fighting them, trying to keep them away from Babylon, from Babylonia. And now he's finding out after this giant party that is, is the, the sun is thrown, that the kingdom has been divided. And that's what that word Paris means, to divide. It also does, of course, relate in some ways linguistically to the word Persian, although the association is somewhat loose. So this, this is the interpretation. Now imagine, imagine you are Belshazzar. You've thrown this party, right? You're the king, a thousand lords, lots of stuff to drink, all kinds of festivities. And at the end of the party, you're the guy sitting on the floor being told that everything you've ever done and lived for is, like, is worth this much. You just, you just you don't cut it. Nobody likes to be told, you don't cut it. I mean, that's, that's insulting, right? But it's also, sometimes we need to hear that. Like, you're not pulling, you ever heard the phrase, like, you're not pulling your weight. So, so Belshazzar receives this really bad news for him personally. And we, what is he going to do with it? And this is his response, which I think is, is it's, it's, a, it's the first example of somewhat meekness that we see out of this guy. Belshazzar then gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him. 
that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What is he doing here? He's just, he's just been told that his kingdom is going away. And so now he's going to still reward. I mean, like part of it's like, okay, okay. So he's honoring his word to a certain extent, but he's also like, and the, the commentary I listened to was like, it's like being made the captain of the Titanic after it hit the iceberg. It's like, this thing's going down. Hey, why don't you take the wheel, man? Like, sure, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I can almost picture Daniel like just standing there, right? Belshazzar is completely, you know, busted. And he's still, he's just, he's putting the chain on him and he's just like. It's a nice chain for this divided kingdom. It's a nice purple robe, you know? It's again, it's the, it's the what is this going to do for me? I, I have food that you know not of, Right? And it says in verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king, that very night, we're not talking like a month later. I don't know if you remember this with Nebuchadnezzar, but the Lord gave him a year, a year's time to actually repent after Daniel had told him, you gotta turn away from your sins. That very night for Belshazzar, that he was slain. And then it says, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now let me tell you a little bit about Babylon and how this all went down because it's pretty interesting stuff. Babylon at this time was uh, actually the, the city of Babylon. I'm not talking about just Babylonia, which is the whole, that's the empire. Babylon is the city, right? You've heard of like the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. Babylon was an incredible fortress. Um, its outer walls where there were 17 miles of walls. Now, these weren't just like average walls. The walls were 22 feet thick. That's like from that wall to about here, a gross estimation. Maybe very gross if you're in construction. And not only were they that thick, somebody's going to measure it after here. I just know it. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, okay, so many, many tackle you first and you, you've been weighed and let's, let's check your measurements. Okay. They were 90 feet high. 22 feet thick, 90 feet high. That's incredible. That's as tall as the, uh, as the, uh, the, the statue that was built that Nebuchadnezzar had built for himself. The outer walls also had guard towers that were another 100 feet high. They were not messing around as far as security and safety for the city. The gates of the city were bronze, not wood. Almost impossible to destroy. And they also had inner walls and outer walls and moats. So like... Like, it wasn't just that, and then everything was free inside, but then as you came in, if you were attacking the city, there would be yet more walls to deal with and moats to deal with, you know? I don't know if there's, like, alligators in there or not, or pythons, but going through the Everglades or whatever. And in Babylon, they had, the archaeologists have, have actually uncovered a, a, a large court that's about 56 by 170 feet that was decorated with Greek columns, and they think this is probably, not for sure, but probably where this banquet 
was held that is being described here. Anyhow, so with that kind of fortress, how exactly did the Medo-Persians get in and take him in one night? Well, here's the interesting thing. So, this is just fascinating. Actually, turn with me to uh, um, Isaiah. Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 44. Yeah. Isaiah 44. That's to the left. Beginning in verse 26. Now, before we read this, I'm just going to let you know what happened according to... um, the historian. There's a Greek historian named Herodotus. Have you guys heard of Herodotus? Herodotus. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 26. We'll get there in just a second. Now, as you turn there, I'll tell you this. According to Herodotus, the Persian king Cyrus, so Cyrus was already ruling in Medo-Persia. They just, I'm Merdo, Medo-Persia. They just hadn't conquered Babylon yet. And what they did is the, the Euphrates River ran through Babylon. And this is one of the reasons why they were also so confident. Not only did they have just incredibly thick walls, but they had constant water. What they did is they dammed the Euphrates River and diverted it to run into a nearby swamp. Now, under the Euphrates River, they had, they had gates, of course, uh, built into uh, the ground, or at least really close to the ground, so that people who wanted to invade couldn't get through there. They could get on the river passage going towards there, but they couldn't actually get through there. Once they, once they diverted the river there became a small place underneath that gate. I keep thinking of like the Lord of the Rings when they're, uh, when they're attacking the, what, there's a, Helm's Deep, thanks. And there's like a little place where the water goes through the wall and that's the place that they're trying to, d- d- to destroy. Well, it's kind of like that, but they're able to get underneath it. And that lowered the level of the river so that the troops could actually march through and under the river gates. Now, let's read what God's word says in Isaiah about what happens in Cyrus and all this kind of stuff. Verse 26 of Isaiah 44. Speaking of God, God who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. And who says of Cyrus, he is my holy shepherd. Do you see this? This is a description of the drying up of a river and Cyrus within the very next sentence. And how she shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple, your foundation shall be laid. For those of you who don't know, Cyrus eventually would be the one who gives the decree to allow Jerusalem and to be rebuilt. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, chapter 45, verse 1, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. And I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. Interestingly enough, when they made this attack, I told you there were all these other things going on within the city. The gates that night were 
unlocked. Were the people drunk and they forgot to? Did God miraculously make this happen? I will break in pieces the, gu- the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness. I wonder if that means those articles, again, that we've started off reading about, that we're now in darkness, that the treasures would be given back. Eventually, these things, going back to Jerusalem, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Interesting stuff, is it not? When, when God <laughs> ordains something to happen a certain way, there will always be interesting clues and, and beautiful descriptions in his word that can only be described by this one thing. This is prophetic. This is the future being told in advance. And he was the one who made it happen. Many, many. Tekel of Farson. Let's read now into chapter 6. Back to Daniel. Chapter 6. I'll have to go kind of quickly through this. As great as it is. And if I don't get all the way through it, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it up next week. So Darius the Mede is the one who receives the kingdom, about 62 years old. And there are actually some interesting things about, about Darius. Um, we don't have a lot of references to him in secular history. So he was either one of two things. I'm just going to mention this briefly, although I have more information if you're, if you're interested. He was either Darius Caesaris II, and this is according to the Greek historian Xenophon, either that or he may have been an ancient official within Medo-Persian named Gubaru. And that's a, that's a kind of a funny name, but you're like, yeah, I think he was named... Uh, Pastor Jeff said he named after a goober, pretty much. So, and then and the word the word Darius actually it does mean lord or holder of the scepter. So it could be that Darius is a kind of what we call an honorific name or a titular name. Um, it's a name that means something else. It's not actually like a a, a person's um, private name, right? Like Jeff or Dan or whatever. Anyhow, it could be one of these two people. It pleased Darius. Chapter 6. So now, now we're into Medo-Persian em- Empire area, right? This is where the Babylonian aspect of Daniel is done. Many, many Tekel-Ufarsin has been split, now given to the Medes and the Persians, which of course became one empire. They were separate and they became unified. <clears throat> it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Now this is just amazing to me, right? It, it makes sense in some ways that Daniel would be part of the, the Babylonian uh, empire and as far as the ruling and all this kind of stuff and he would have certain power because he was actually brought there by them, trained by them, had all these stories that happened. But now we have a different foreign power come in and yet somehow Daniel, who is now by, by now at least 60, perhaps 70 years old, is still in the upper echelon of the power in this new foreign uh, government. It's just, just astounding. Like, how did that happen? Hey, guys, how did that happen? What do you think? God! God. <laughs> wow, you guys are really paying attention. There's this thing called God. <laughs> you're like, hey, well, what did you guys learn tonight? We learned that God's really cool. 
powerful and that he rules in the affairs and the king of men. Sorry, I need a little drink here. I have no idea. <laughs> Satrap. Um, it's like, okay, so pretend there's like a trap there, like that you could, and then you just sit on it. Satrap. <laughs> okay, what is it? A provincial governor. I mean, I, I would have said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I figured it probably was something similar to that. Um, okay, so Daniel is still in this new kingdom. Then this Daniel, verse 3, it distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, or provincial governors, as we've just learned. Uh, because, why? Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Like, th- there's something about this guy that even this new king of this new uh, entity was like, maybe we should just make this guy king. It's just, it's just interesting. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel, okay, concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now this tells us so much about the character of Daniel, right? That not only does he rise up in various foreign powers, but that even when people try to like dig up dirt on him, they can't find anything. I, I wish I could say that about myself, but it's not true. You know, I've got all kinds of dirt and skeletons in my closet. Uh, it's part of the reason I came to Jesus. Because <laughs> I was filthy and I needed to be cleaned. But this testimony of, of, of who Daniel was and, and who he was seen to be and how, how clean his reputation is, I mean, that, that's pretty astounding that someone would have that kind of reputation. So it's pretty astounding. So then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And such, now the trap is now laid. Not the satrap, just a trap, just to be clear. Um, So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Yeah, I always start by buttering people up. Yeah, right? (laughs) Here comes the butter. Brown nose. Okay. Anyhow, King Darius, live forever. You're so cool, king. You're the greatest king I've ever met in my life. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, verse 8, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not Altar. Therefore, the king, King Darius, signed the written decree. There's a couple of interesting things within this. First of all, in verse 7, when he says, All the governors of the kingdom. <laughs> you caught it. Guys, these are, this is, this is a matter of, of, of carefulness with your words. When, you're, when, you, when you speak with your spouse 
about something they've done and you say, you always, you're in trouble because the probability of whatever, even if it's an error that they've always done it is probably not true. And so here when he's like, all, everybody agrees with this. If everybody's of the same opinion, whose opinion are they leaving out? Daniel, right? You think he was in there in this meeting like, hey, Daniel, we're going to make a, a law that says you can't do what we know you do. What do you think? You're in on this? You're in? Great. I don't think that happened. So all. This is part of the, this. Is, this is some, some, some marital counseling here too. We're using the words, you always, never. Generally have to strike those from your vocabulary because you are generally walking yourself into something that is not true. Now, the other thing, the law of the Medes and the Persians. Now, I covered this when we were going through our study on Esther. In the book of Esther, there was a law uh, that was made that said that the people could attack the Jews and destroy them because they, they kind of set them up as like the, the, the guy, the bad guys. They, they should take the fall. And uh, Xerxes, the king of Medo-Persia, he's a couple kings down the line from where we are right now in, in this book uh, with Darius and Cyrus, um, said, hey, I, when he found out about this plan, he said, I cannot change this. And that's because the law of the Medes and Persians was they would not get rid of a law. The only way that they could solve this on the back end was that they made another law saying that the Jews could defend themselves. And that's how we ended up with the holiday known as Purim, which, is, which, is, uh, which means, um, uh, oh, what does Purim mean? No, d- 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 I think dice. Yeah, dice, yeah. Because um, they, they, they set dice and that was how they figured out the date that they could attack. Oh, wow, I'm really really going to the left field here. So sorry, anyhow. So anyhow, that's part of the Medo-Persian Empire is part of how the laws and stuff worked at the time. So that's why they're saying they want them to make this decree in law. They're, they're, they're like putting legislation, gotta sign it, gotta sign it, gotta sign it, because they know once they do that, that's in there, right? That's kind of solid. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, so he knew about this. He knew that this was going through, and he goes home. What's he gonna do? And in his upper room, with his window, windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And I, I want to draw your attention to not just the issue of prayer, but the word I really want to draw your attention to is the word custom. This was his custom. This was how he lived. This was his life. He wasn't just scared and therefore he went home. He was like, oh, I'm freaking out. I gotta, oh, I gotta, I gotta pray for 18 hours. No, this was his custom. This is how Daniel lived. This was the expression of his usual faith life. His custom was his faith life. In fact, in some ways you could say that his faith was his life. And when you are facing big things, the best way to be prepared for them is not to freak out when they happen. It's to go back to, what have you been doing 
on the regular days? How are you supposed to be built up to handle these kinds of situations? And it's found in this word, what is your custom? What is your custom of prayer? What is your custom of reading the word? What is your custom of worshiping the Lord? How quickly can your hand do this and offer praises to the king? How, how quickly is the knee bowed? How quickly is the heart humbled? What is your custom? How do you live? And Daniel's just showing us he went home after he knew this giant thing had come forth that was going to test him. And he went according to his custom. He did neither prayed 14 times a day. I'm going to pray even more. Nor did he decide that he was going to make some kind of uh, grade, like go, go into the middle of the, of, the, of the community and make a big show of it. This was, this was how he operated. This was what he did. And he just went on doing the same thing. I love this. Daniel is in a storm and he's just walking the way he's always walked. And that's how he's going to walk through it. And guys, that's how you walk through a storm. You don't, you don't take the occasion to, to freak out, to go hyper-religious. You don't take the occasion to start second-guessing everything you've ever done or thought as a Christian. You continue with your custom. And if there's something that needs to be adjusted within who, what, what your customs are, the Lord will show you but it's not just that we're supposed to kind of all of a sudden be, become religious zealots. No, 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 no. We're called to be f- just faithful people who are walking with our God, who know the promises of Jesus and hold on to them perhaps more tightly in a time of trial, but the same promises that you held on to during the last one that maybe wasn't as big as this one. And there'll be the same promises that you hold on to for, guess what, the next trial, because there's no stoppage of trials. There's just different ones at different times. But the promises, the custom, those are the same. What is your custom? Let the Lord shape the custom of your life, and that will prepare you for whatever it is. Then the men assembled, verse 11 and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Did they know this was his custom? Absolutely. Did they know that they could catch him here? Absolutely. Did Daniel know that they could catch him here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree? These are the same guys that brought the law. And now they're talking to him as though he did it. Have you not signed a decree? Darius, didn't you come up with this great plan that we brought to you last Thursday? <laughs> you got to wonder sometimes if these kings are like, who's really running the show, right? We wondered that about that with, with was, was there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Same kind of stuff with Xerxes, actually. And Haman, boo. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Where did they even get the den of lions? Like, did they walk down to like the lion's store? Where did they get the den to put them in? 
I mean, like, I mean like, like the practical aspects of this is rather fascinating to me, you know? It's not easy to buy a lion. I'm not sure if you guys have tried. Anybody here? Not the simplest thing? Costco, they got two for one. But only on Saturdays. That deserved more laughter, I swear. <laughs> Sam's, go to Sam's Club for the den. I like you, yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, they're out of dens here, let's go, let's go to Sam's. And they got that great popcorn shrimp, it's fantastic. Get two bags, okay. The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. What have I walked into? What have I been cajoled into doing? And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. Darius was like, man, <laughs> it's probably the only guy you could trust. And now he has to kill him because of this law. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. That's just fascinating, isn't it? Again, serving in a second foreign king situation. And the king kind of has a heart for Daniel. Again, the character of Daniel shines through over and over and over again. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute with the, which the king establishes may be changed. They're just holding his feet to the fire. They know that he's stuck according to their custom. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. What? Who just prophesied? Darius the Mede. He said, your God's going to deliver you. I didn't expect that. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, the one from Sam's Club, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. When Jesus was in the tomb and they rolled the stone, they sealed it. Not with like a big giant lock, but with a seal so they would know if the stone was rolled away. Same thing here. They wanted to make sure that they knew that they knew that they knew that somebody hadn't caused Daniel to escape. Interesting, isn't it? Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Well, the king's fasting? Now we don't think, I don't think that the king was a, a regular prayer warrior, but he seems to be doing something like that now. He spent the night fasting and, and no musicians were brought before him. He, he, didn't, want, he didn't want any of the distractions. He was, he was concerned. Daniel was in some regard, some way, a friend. Or at least someone he admired. Also his sleep went from him. And then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. He wanted to know what happened. 
And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, you got to wonder, did he wait a little bit before he spoke? Like, <laughs> talking about like a classic pregnant silence, like, oh, king, live forever. And then the thing is, Darius on his, on his. But this is fascinating, right? Who's the one who's losing sleep on the night that someone's in a lion's den? The guy who orders it. This is backwards, right? How did Daniel sleep? <laughs> He's at least fine. He's just, he just petting the lions all night. You know. Man, these lions are warm when you get to sleep next to them. It's like, a, it's like a wonderful blanket. Wow. Bring that mane over here. Come over here. Come snuggle me on my left. Yeah. I don't know. Kitty cat, yeah. Come here, come here, come here. So Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. <laughs> Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh king, you are a jerk. <laughs> or what do you expect me to say to you having put me in a den of lions? Oh king, thou greatest jerkest in the King James. Jerkest Maximus. No. Oh king, live forever. He, he's respectful. That's what he is. He's respectful. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. He says, you've made a law. I did nothing wrong except for a law that you made that was not against anything and I have done nothing against you. And, and, and the king knows it. He knows it. He also probably knows that although the law has said that nothing, no one should be worshipped except the king, that the king of all people does not deserve such worship. <laughs> now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should go take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. You know, in the book of, in the book of Hebrews, we're told this interesting thing about Daniel and his prayer. In 11, uh, Hebrews 11.33, it says this, because of his, that, um, Oh, sorry. Because of Daniel's faith, this is the thing that stopped the mouths of lions. Because of his faith. Did, did Daniel request, ask to be delivered? Yes. From, from what we read here in Hebrews. He had faith that God would do it and he had, had to have asked all that to say this, do you sometimes forget just to ask? 
I do? You ever been in a situation where you're like, I just, I, I didn't pray about that. Sometimes you just have to ask. And it says because of Daniel's faith, that's what stopped the mouths of lions. And the king gave command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives. Be careful of the two-for-one Costco lion special. It may come back to bite you. Okay, finally, finally, my laugh track has arrived. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. The lions were obviously hungry. They spent a whole night just snuggling with Daniel, just getting ready for the meal. Like the day before Thanksgiving, they're just getting ready, you know? Oh, no, no. I plan to have two pieces of pecan pie tomorrow. Thank you. And then King Darius wrote, so now we're hearing from him himself the things that he wrote concerning this. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so we go from this interesting thing with King Darius, right? Before he had written a decree, a law, because of something that he had been convinced that he needed to do so that they could entrap him. But when he finally has the ability to speak for himself, what he wants to communicate, what he wants to say, much like what Nebuchadnezzar said at the end of chapter four, when he was humbled, that he spoke with incredibly flowery words of praise to the God of gods and the King of kings. And here Darius again sees, I, I say this as an encouragement. Who, who knows who sees you in your life? You have friends, family, neighbors, when they see you like these men saw Daniel walk through things, there's an incredible opportunity. And I don't say this to put like pressure on you, but again, is an encouragement for them to see the living God and then give him glory. And again, that's the whole point, right? What does God ultimately want? That people would know that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men. We have the great privilege as believers, as followers of Christ, to show what that looks like to those who see us. Not for our own praise, as the psalm says, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but to you be the glory. It's all about God getting his rightful glory. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for how you encourage us and teach us, Lord. Um, the spirit that you put in Daniel, Lord, is, 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 an, an, is, is the Holy Spirit. The spirit that you, you helped him to, to develop within his character as he decided that he wanted to follow you. That's the same spirit, Lord, that you, des- that you desire to put in us and to give to us and to, and to and refresh us with. And I just pray for these gathered here, Lord, for just a fresh pouring of your spirit, Lord. Would you anoint these, these followers, these disciples here, Lord? Would you give them spiritual victory? Lord, would you help them to recognize more and more that you rule in the kingdom of men? And Lord, would you help everybody who sees them, Lord, to give you the glory? We want you to have all the honor. We want you to be the one that people look at and say, wow, that's their God who delivered them, who helped them. Praised be to that God. And Lord, we give you glory tonight. And we do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, boys. We'll see you next week for chapters 7 and 8. Have a great night.